This episode of That's What G Said Podcast is brought to you by Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava, the website cindycarava.com. She can help you out with anything that you need. We all know that one of the, the most difficult events in life is when you have to move and you have to relocate and everything that goes into that that process. So you want to find someone that you can trust that can help you out, and Cindy is the perfect person to do so. If the name sounds familiar, she's the wife of horse racing trainer Jack Carava, who's been on the Southern California racing circuit for the last 30 years. Uh, she can help you with selling, purchasing, leasing, help you find vendors like handyman, painters, and landscapers, maybe if you're just looking to improve your home. Um, if you are interested in getting pre-approved for a home loan, she can connect you with lenders that she works closely with. She covers the San Gabriel Valley and parts of North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you're just interested in, in finding out how much your home is worth, a free market analysis. She will do that for you. And you can find all sorts of information about her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. There are reviews on Yelp and Zillow. But the easiest way to find all the information, cindycarava.com. I've known her for a decade. She is one of the most honest and genuine people I have ever met. I trust her completely, and I'm sure that you will absolutely love all of your interactions with Cindy Carava. Go check her out. Or if you have any questions, just click and send her an email, cindyc.realtor at gmail. On this episode of That's What G Said, we're going to be talking lots of the NFL wildcard weekend. We have two interviews for you, so you'll get two different opinions on the games. First, it's going to be Scott Shapiro, and then we'll be talking with Paul Bovey. We'll go through all four of the games with both, and then at the end, we'll have some horse racing plays for Saturday and then a couple for Sunday. Kick back and enjoy this episode of That's What. So you want your daily dose of sports and pop culture? Well, into 2020 we had a little extended vacation here on that's what g said over the last couple weeks through the holiday season i got a new family now so we were all uh, focused in on christmas and new year's we had a lot of fun hanging out with milo i hope everyone out there had a great great safe and warm holiday season it's a great time this is a great time of the year right this is a lot of fun this is the first time going through santa visited over here in long beach so uh, he was able to spoil Milo with plenty of gifts and what you're seeing now as we move in from 2019 to 2020 is we're seeing a lot of uh, best of the decade type shows so we're going to have a couple of those coming up for you throughout the month of January where we focus in on some of the things that happened over the the last 10 years we'll go through kind of my decade and and where things have gone for me we'll do it in sports also and we'll uh, kind of revisit it for social media and just like tv shows have lots of things have changed and we will uh, have some decade recap shows coming up over the next month but today we're going to focus on the the important stuff at hand this weekend we have lots of really really big stuff in the world of football and that's going to really be the focus of this episode so first up we will 
talk with Scott Shapiro. We're going to go through all four of the wildcard games. And then afterwards, we're going to talk with Paul Bovey, and we're going to do the same with him. So what you'll get is you'll get two completely different people with their opinions on the games. And then afterwards, I'll give you my recap of um, how I'm going to play these weekend games. And then afterwards, we'll close things out with some horse racing. So let's get right into the interview with our good friend, Scott Shapiro. We're going to be talking wild card weekend. Happy to have uh, back again here on That's What G Said podcast. Our good friend, Scott Shapiro. You know Scott from Bet America, from Twin Spires, the Who Do You Like podcast. Uh, we welcome Scott in. Uh, what else? Uh, I mean, you were on the, the Churchill feed now. You're all over the place. You're kind of like a jack of all trades. You have articles that come out, podcasts that come out. Really, like whatever they need uh, over there from you. And that's what that's what they're going to get from Scott Shapiro. Hey, buddy. Happy New Year. Uh Great to be back chatting with you. And yeah, uh, I guess it's it's a little, you know, different times of the year, different things. This fall, football and, and Churchill racetrack. And then in the summer, more of a focus on like Saratoga. And then in the spring, a lot of, you know, college hoops. And of course, Kentucky Derby, a big part of things. But glad to be uh, able to do all these things and kind of enjoy the fact that I can, uh, you know, switch back and forth a little and not be locked into one thing 12 months a year. So our focus will be on the uh, the big four wild card games this weekend, NFL playoffs beginning. Before we get into those four games, though, got to give you a, a minute or two to uh, to rant on your uh, Wisconsin Badgers. I watched that Rose Bowl game against Oregon, and we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. So watched it last night, and man, just a bummer type game as a, a fan and. Yes, it's a better, but I think more as a fan because you felt like you really dominated that game throughout and just a couple turnovers and then a really, really bad call at the end of the game that really swung swung things. So, like, after you had a night to sleep on it, where uh, what are you thinking about that game? Yeah, you know, the, the bad call is one thing. You know, I try not to uh, dwell on that. I thought it was a terrible call, but we still had work left to do. But to turn the ball over four times when we really, other than that, I think we had the the time had won the time of possession almost two to one. We we outgained them by a ton. I mean, our defense held them to like a low record low. Of, I mean, they didn't do much on offense at all, other than really taking advantage of turnovers. And when you turn the ball over four times, you deserve to lose. But you know, it's hard to say we weren't the better team, which is frustrating. You know, you're going to play plenty of big games where you're not the better team or where you're very equal. And, you know, I thought we showed that we were a better team. But, uh, yeah, pretty frustrating. Um, that's kind of as big as it gets for Wisconsin football. We're probably never going to beat Ohio State ever, so we'll never get to the playoff. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we just got to hope to finish second in the Big Ten. Um and I'm but, kind of feeling uh, that way as a fan of USC now. Like Oregon's starting to just take over California from a recruiting standpoint too. It's like we're we're just falling down. Uh, it's it was sad. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how like wow, it's such a bummer. I used to remember watching USC in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> you know, uh, like consistently, it felt like. And and so now as we move on from. I guess this year, what the to, towards the end of the year now? Do you have any early thoughts on the uh, the national championship game now, where we're going to see a couple of really really good teams? I know you've been pretty high on Clemson the last like half of the year, and not not their not who they've played, but just like high in general. LSU has been amazing, and and the key as we all were kind of figuring out is who was going to get the number one ranking because they basically got that that Oklahoma game, and Oklahoma was not at the, the same level as. You know LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson this year. 
Yeah, it was uh, such a big distinction between the top three teams and the rest of them. If you don't mm-hmm. want to count maybe at Alabama or something. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was completely – and I saw this coming a mile away that LSU was going to roll Oklahoma and then all of a sudden the public would think they would be unbeatable. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's tough to be completely against LSU in any spot right now. They're, it's hard to pick pick at them, you know, find things wrong with them. But, you know, I, I got in at Clemson at plus six. I think it's yeah. an overreaction. I mean, this yeah. game, from a betting pers- pure betting perspective, long term, when you can get overreactions like this. I mean, this line, before the playoff and they before it was announced that where who was playing who, they, they were kind of, you know, they had uh, look-ahead lines. And this game was like pick. Yes. Clemson was favored one. Yes. Then LSU, you know, I mean, I could understand why LSU would be a three-point favorite in this game, maybe three and a half. Maybe, yes. But Clemson hasn't lost in 28 games. Trevor Lawrence has never lost. You know, it's it's very hard for me to not think this is relatively a coin flip. And uh, give me the six points. I, I don't think, you know, the defense that Clemson, that LSU faces in Clemson, yeah, they're, anyone's going to struggle to stop Joe Barrow and crew, but... It's not. It's these are these are light years apart. Clemson's defense and Oklahoma's, and we saw defenses like Auburn um, that are top tier defenses like a Clemson with the athletes and the speed. You know they don't stop. They don't totally stop. Just slow LSU. them down though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thirty something points. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't see why Clemson can't score in the thirties. Also, I thought they played as poorly as they could in that first half against Ohio State, especially on offense. Credit to the Buckeyes, but I'm on the dog in this one. Just just more from a overall betting perspective than you know thinking, hey, LSU can't win by ten or something. Yeah, you know, and I think Clemson, as you know, they came off of a a weak conference or a conference where they're not going to be playing anyone like Ohio State, and then you play Ohio State and they hit you a little bit, and you're not quite used to that level, and then you settle in the game, and then you come back, and that was just a good kind of a good football game between two really like top tier awesome teams, you, you know, like back and forth, and so. I think now they're steady. They faced a little bit tougher of a team. They kind of y- you weathered the storm a little bit, and this should be a really good game. I'm I'm really excited for this uh, for this national. Like some years, you know, the the playoff is okay, or you kind of feel like there's one team. But I really do think these are two like top tier teams. LSU has been good all year. They've been excellent, and it, it's really tough to knock anything that Clemson's done over the last couple of years. They're just such an unbelievable program. They just spit out like pro player after pro player after pro player. They're well coached. They recruit. And I mean, like LSU is out there getting top recruits right now, stealing California recruits like yesterday while they're in the middle of prepping for the national championship. That just shows you how good these two programs are uh, yeah. right now. And so, it's um, just, yeah, and it's just funny to me that, you know, I think it's like eight, the, the, you know, I, roughly 80% of the ticket count or something is, is going to be on LSU and so many people in the public, um, you know, that just think that because of that offense, they're just such a lock. So to, I just think Clemson's getting a little bit disrespected. 100%. I think that's the, that's the way to go uh, if you're playing the game. Now, let's move on to the NFL. We have uh, four games. These next two weekends are great. And, and, you know, generally, I like next weekend a little bit better because you get better teams. But this is not a bad wild card weekend. We don't really have... Like that many bad teams that got into the playoffs this year. Um, I think this is a a pretty fun four games that we have, and you know the big bad Patriots are even going to show up on Wild Card Weekend, which we don't see too often. We'll start with the uh, the first game. We'll just go in order. Basically, if the Texans make the playoffs, they are playing in the first game of the uh, <laughs> of, of the playoff weekend. I believe all six times that they've made the playoffs now, they will be playing in the opening game on Saturday. Um, 
they come into this game off of a, a loss, but it didn't matter. They were sitting their starters, so they weren't really focused too much on last week. It was really a kind of just a get healthy game because they had already clinched the division. So right now, I think on Bet America, I'm seeing Texans minus two and a half and the over under something around 43 and a half. And they're going to be playing a feisty Bills team here. What are some of your thoughts on this matchup? Yes, uh, I agree with the with your macro point that I think we got all the best teams in. You could argue Eagles or Cowboys, but outside of that, I think the best teams made the playoffs this year. And, you know, I think the Bills are a better football team than Houston. Mm-hmm. And I especially think they're a better football team than Houston when Will Fuller is not playing to stretch the field and open things up for DeAndre Hopkins and the rest of that offense. And it seems at this point... Just uh, that Will Fuller is unlikely to go. I've heard mixed mixed thoughts until very recently, right before we got started recording here, that it seems very unlikely he's going to play. Just a couple interesting stats. The Texans are the kind of team that when the, you don't expect them to play well, they do. And when they're expected to play well, meaning as a favorite, they're not very good. They're 1-6 this year against the number as a favorite. I'm presuming that uh, as a home favorite, they're 1-5. And they're, the last three years, that trend's been the same. As a favorite, they're eight and fifteen against the spread, and so and they usually lose those games too. It's not as if yeah. these are often. I shouldn't say usually that more. Not always. That I should take that back. But they're very capable of losing those games when they're favored. And uh, I think that the Bills. The one concern you have is Josh Allen in his first start ever in the playoffs. He can be erratic at times. He's definitely got some talent. Versus Deshaun Watson, who got his feet wet last year against Buffalo. But outside of that matchup, I think Tredavious White can kind of hold his own against DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And the, the Texans will get J.J. Watt back, but he won't be anywhere near at 100%. And I, I think John Brown and Cole Beasley can make some plays on the outside. And I just like the coaching matchup. Sean McDermott, to me, a much better coach than Bill O'Brien. So you don't get a lot of points, but I'll take the two and a half and maybe even sprinkle a little bit in on the money line with the Bills. Yeah, yeah and these these short home favorites aren't, <clears throat> aren't I don't, I'm not a big trend guy. I, I only like trends usually when they're like relevant, same team, same coaching staff, like throughout the year type trends. But mm-hmm. when you look at um the home favorites of two and a half or less on wildcard weekend, they are one and nine. Against wow. the spread and uh, all favorites Are 2-14 and 14 against the spread When favored by 2.5 or less So that's a pretty big number Just kind of letting you know that These teams aren't really better You know, they're just kind of getting those extra points Because they're at home And and how much does that matter You know, with, with, right now with two teams That are kind of evenly matched I do think these two teams are, you're right I, I think Buffalo's a little bit better The thing about Houston is Over the last couple of years we've kind of we, with With Watt when they have Clowney, we thought of Houston as this really good defense. And this team, and in particular the last couple years, they are really not at all. In particular, their secondary is really, really bad. If you're using like DVOA metrics, they're 22nd against the run. They're 26th against the pass. Uh, they're 25th in yards per rush allowed per game. So they just aren't good at, at all on defense. You know, <laughs> right. Not, not, not like against the run, against the pass, period. You know, they're... Oh. They allow, they can just allow you to score, so that's why I'm not quite as worried at, about Josh Allen, you know, turning the ball over because I don't know if this is the type of defense that is going to create those turnovers. And you know, you look at Allen; he's nine rushing touchdowns, which led all QBs in rushing touchdowns. That's even more than Lamar; he had 500 plus yards rushing. And I think Houston runs the ball a little bit better than we. 
think you know Hyde actually had a thousand mm-hmm. yards this year, and you're going to get Watson in the mix, and then they catch the ball well out of the backfield with Duke Johnson. Like I don't, I don't think this is going to be. I think it's going to be a tight game, but I'm kind of with you. I think just the fact that you can get some points and you probably get some money line. Um, another couple of stats like Houston's defense, they're second worst um, in the league in third down conversions, and they are dead last against red zone conversions. They've allowed seventy one percent. Of red zones into touchdowns, uh, red zone terrible. opportunities into touchdown, which is unbelievable. Like they're so they're just not good when they need to make a big play. It, right. Where you know you look at Buffalo and they're they're kind of the opposite. They're seventh best in third down conversion, and when they have someone like Allen with his legs who can move move around and kind of pick up a play, that's the key. And I think you mentioned the key, the real key is Will Fuller because Deshaun Jackson is just like Jackson Deshaun Watson is just like a completely <laughs> different. Uh, Different player when Fuller is around. Um, the EPA, which measures your your players your plays impact on the score of the game, is like absurd with Fuller. And then when you look without Fuller, it's like bad, really, really bad. And it's just been the same thing the last couple of years with this team. Their secondary has been bad, and they can't protect Watson. You know. A whole lot they got better in the middle of the year Doing that and then they started to struggle again Late in the season so I think the fact that we Get a couple points in here um, I'm, I'm going to lean with Buffalo and it feels like you're going Buffalo two in here plus the two and a half in the money line Yes sir and one thing just to Add to your point about Josh Allen's Rushing and the Texans uh, did Give up the seventh most rushing yards to quarterbacks So it's um, not as If you know that can be somewhat random You want to look back at the schedule a little bit and really Dive in but Allen's as good as just about Anybody other than Lamar with his legs and uh, the Texans aren't great at stopping that, although that might help a little bit. Yeah, it just looks like the like a lot of the the metrics and stuff. They the things that Buffalo does pretty well, Houston's not good at. You know, even like little things like um, passing plays of twenty plus yards. You know, Allen's not consistent, but he can come up with a big play. The Bills are in the top half of the league in that. The Texans are twenty fifth in the league in that. You know, like, there just seem like there are a lot of things that. That match up very well for the Bills in here So let's uh, I, Yeah I like this Bills team I think they're fun mm-hmm. to watch and I, and I hope they win Yeah me too I just They're, they're like maybe a one more Like a, a big tight end Or one more like pass catcher away From yeah. being good um, And just like a little more improvement from Allen But they, yeah. they could beat anybody I just don't think they could win Three or four games in a row Against the top tier teams But I wouldn't be shocked to see them beat anybody Like I I do not want to play the, All year long even when they the beginning of the year when they got off to a hot start But they looked like they weren't very good They've sustained it, they've actually improved as a team Even through some of the games that they've lost Against better competition And they feel like a team that I just don't I don't want to play Like I would not want to be one of these teams next week I'd be rooting against the Bills I do not want to play them next week I, I agree, if I'm the team that has a job option of playing the Bills or Texans I'd much rather play Houston Okay, let's move on to the Saturday night game. We do not very often see the Patriots playing in Wild Card Weekend. It is actually the first time they host a Wild Card game since 2009, and the key is this is only the fourth time since 2001 in the last 17 years they've made the playoffs, which is absurd. 17 times since 2001 <laughs> they've made the playoffs, and only four of them have been uh, in the Wild Card. Game. It's unbelievable. And never will happen again. Yeah, they've never won a Super Bowl um, when being a wild card. This right. game opened, I think, at four and a half. It's you can get it anywhere, kind of between four and five. I think it's five right now on Bet America. Over oh, under yeah. is uh, forty four. And these two teams were both nine and seven against the spread this year. Kind of a tale of of two teams, though, as far as like the Patriots' hot start playing against really suspect competition early on, but doing what they were supposed to and beating them up. And then the Titans, you make the quarterback switch and. 
everything changed to where the point the point where you're kind of what ifing, wondering like, wow, if they would have started Tannehill and maybe they don't lose another game or two, like this team could have been like, battling for maybe a a, a buy in a in a home game here because they played so well down the stretch. They beat some good teams. They were seven and three with Tannehill as a starter. He had the best passer rating in the league, the most yards per attempt, and the most yards per reception, the the most yards per catch. So just like. Really crazy numbers 259 uh, yards per game Which would have ranked in the top 10 for a full season And that's more than New England per game And he's just created a monster with A.J. Brown but This game I kind of have the the least feel for I think of the four games As far as like I could see anything happening I know a lot of people are going to go against the Pats Because they've looked so bad lately They could bite us But they really do not look like the same Pats team over the last few years. Like, where do you stand? Well, I think uh, the first thing you have to think is, well, if this wasn't the Patriots, which you have to give credit to Bill Belichick, this this line wouldn't be five, right? From what yes. we've seen recently, yes, it'd probably right. be more like three or two and a half. But you got to give credit to Belichick. He's certainly worth points. And the, you mentioned Tannehill. They averaged 16 points a game in the first six games with Mariota and 30.4 over the last 10 now. Some of that wasn't against the greatest competition, but that's a huge, huge leap. And he's been awesome. But they're still going to lean on the running game, and they did this throughout this whole run And Derrick Henry. I don't know. I mean, the Patriots' defense didn't play a lot good last week against the Dolphins, and they've looked a lot more beatable since the, after that 8-0 start against the weaker competition. But I've got a feeling... A strong feeling that Belichick's going to come up with a game plan and they're going to play a really good game on defense. That being said, I don't know how you can lay nearly nearly close to a touchdown with the Patriots the way they're playing offense right now. I mean, it's I've been waiting for them to turn it turn it on mm-hmm. for seems like the whole year. Brady's Brady's not his accurate self. Their offensive line is is not that good. They're just not they're just not that good, and that means that they can't run the ball. Sony Michelle looks slow. You know, they just are not dynamic on offense. Julian Edelman's banged up. They, you know, and Keel Harry's been okay, but you can't, you know, Philip Dorsett, they just don't have a lot on offense. They've scored um, 24 points only once since that 8 0 start. Right. Yeah. And so, how are, been- so, how are you laying? How can you not like, you know, I, it's scary to bet against the Patriots. That's the only reason not to take to bet the Titans in this spot to me, right? There's too much. You're, you're 100% right. There's too much when you're looking at this game of when you look at how they match up, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the way these teams have been playing as of late, um, and how Tennessee can very easily they can run the ball, they can move the ball, like they have weapons. This Tennessee team, man, they have Henry on the ground, who is your rushing champ. He had 211 yards against the, you know, against some backups last week, but he had he's the rushing champ and he missed a game. You know, he didn't play a couple weeks ago. Also, he. They're, in the last eight games, the Pats have been outscored in the first half, ninety-seven to seventy-five. So if, if they get down early, they're going to just have a, to deal with a steady dose of Henry, and that's when the, that's actually the weakness of the of the really good Pats defense. You yep. can run the ball against them. Their strength is their secondary, you know, and Stephon Gilmore, who is going to be one of the def- like the not like the best defensive players this year. He all, actually. And, and that's another issue is that he's coming off of a game where he really struggled last week and he got absolutely torched by Parker from Miami who had 130 yards receiving. Uh, so you have like your best defensive weapon is coming off of really the first time all year where he got torched. And you're going to have to deal with an AJ Brown whose last six games, he's averaging 100 yards per game. And so 
you know, Tennessee is a pretty well built team. Like their defense is right down the middle. They're not really weak. The, where they are weak is the red zone, just like we were talking about with um, the Texans. So if the Pats can get into the red zone, the Titans are actually the second worst team in the league in that red zone defense. Uh, in red zone defense, they are thirty first. They allow sixty eight percent of red zone trips into touchdowns. So not very good for uh, the uh, the Titans and the Texans who both got in. But I mean, I- I'm with you. I think I could see the Patriots squeaking out a, a close win and winning by a field goal here. But when you're getting the additional Point, point and a half, two points on top of that three I think you have to lean Tennessee in here This is, the, like, of the four Probably the least strong opinion But I would, I think it's just too much I, I think that you'll probably get one more good game here From, from the Patriots, enough to, to squeak out a win And uh, and then, you know I, I just don't think they're in the same top tier To be able to deal with, uh, you know a, a Kansas City or a Baltimore Yeah, I'm with you I'm, I, I like the Titans, and I think I like the under A little bit, 44, I'm expecting I kind of agree. Belichick to to take away some of the strengths, I mean, I can't see Gilmore getting toasted again, no. especially by a rookie. I assume he'll be on uh, uh, Brown. Corey Davis had a real good game against them the last time they played, though. So, uh, you know, Corey Davis has been a little bit of a disappointment, to say the least, as a fir- high first-round pick. Um, as a receiver, usually those are pretty short fire. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be like a, I could see like a 2017 Patriots win type deal. Yeah, Vrabel, Vrabel knows Belichick too. You know, he yep. was around him for eight years with the Pats. They won a couple Super Bowls together, and so these teams are familiar with each other. I would lean, I would lean page, I would lean Patriots winning the game, but Titans, I think, I think will cover. And let me ask you this one question: Would you, would you rather, if you're the Ravens, would you rather, or the Chiefs, whoever, however it would work out? It seems to me like if the Titans. It sounds silly to say, but I just can't see the Patriots going in. I mean, I wouldn't have said this a couple weeks ago, but that Dolphins game was just shocking. I can't see the Patriots going in and beating the Chiefs. Me neither. But the it, Ravens, it, it, wouldn't you rather play the would you rather play the the Bills and or, or Texans or the Titans? Titans have like a little more upside, right? I completely agree because like yeah. we said with this Titans team, we're getting a sample size of like 10 games. If we were expanding it a little bit, this team could have been better. Than they were like they've it's it's not they haven't been fluky and even the games where they've lost like they you know they have a f- some weaknesses is that you know they they don't protect the quarterback all that well but they run the ball pretty well so they can mix it up a little bit Tannehill can uh, elude some pressure if need be I you know I like this Titans team I'm with you I would I wouldn't want to play this team and yeah. I I know a lot of Patriots fans that were like ah this is one team that I didn't want to have to play <laughs> right you know they, because they, they went were... from having off and then getting a home game to having to play the Titans and then go to Kansas City I mean it, that was a horrible loss to the Dolphins for them you know so yeah they might be getting a Dory Jackson back too I mean I, he I was always thought he was a as a USC fan I actually did always think he was a little o- overrated um, as far as like his coverability but he gives them a little bit of a, a wrinkle he might be able to you know return a punt or two too if they need so. That that just helps. Uh, yep. Just giving another like a, another weapon to. Uh, they got to protect I, Tannehill. That's the one yeah. thing you said. If they it, he's a different quarterback, like most of these guys. But if he doesn't get protected, I could see him. You know, the game early. I could see him having a down game. But the uh, one, yeah, the one yeah. place where the Pats could succeed is the Titans struggle defending running back pass catchers. 
So this could James be James White. White, could be a little Burkhead um, catching passes out of the backfield. I think the Titans are 29th in receptions allowed uh, against the running back, and they are 23rd in yards allowed against the running back. So that might be where New England has to feast because if Edelman's banged up, he can't get the separation. There just aren't any other scary weapons there. You mentioned their offensive line hasn't been good. They haven't been giving Brady enough time. So yeah, I think it's a. I'm I'm kind of with you in all of it. I think it's a low scoring game. I still think the Patriots probably win in a close one, but I couldn't I couldn't go anything over like three with the Patriots. I couldn't lay anything over that. So the fact that it's up around five right now just is way too much to me. I'm with you. Dogs, like, dogs in the dogs, AFC. dogs. Dogs, and and it is kind of interesting that we have uh, this year. They usually don't do the both AFC games and then both NFC right. games, but uh, I think they wanted to get the Pats in the primetime game, and then um, a couple. You know, we have four good teams playing on Sunday. Unfortunately, the Vikings they laid an egg a couple weeks ago. Um, they're not quite the same team with without Dalvin Cook firing on all cylinders. We don't know what version of Dalvin Cook we're going to get. He hasn't had four yards per carry in a game since week eight. So even when we did see him recently, he seemed a little banged up, which has always kind of been his Achilles heel. But uh, we have the Saints, I believe, as an eight-point favorite. This game is over under around 50 right now. I think it's it opened up a little less than that, and the money has moved uh, the Saints' way, which... You probably doesn't surprise you with Minnesota coming off a couple lackluster games. They did, the, the last week of the ga- season game didn't didn't matter at all for them. Uh, they were locked into this spot, but it is crazy how much movement there was in the NFC all because of that Seattle San Francisco game, which ended up forcing the Saints to me, who is one of the best teams in football and maybe one of the most complete teams overall. And you know they're favored in this game. And it's a home game, but you never want to have to play that extra game. You never want to have to play on this weekend if you don't have to. And so this this definitely doesn't help the Saints' chances to win a Super Bowl any. Um, I do think they're going to be pretty tough in this spot, though. Yeah, you know, it was funny. I was rooting. I think the Saints are the best team in the NFC, I, I think, you know, as well. Uh, maybe you didn't fully commit to that, but I will. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. Yeah. But when I was rooting for the Packers to come back in that game because I wanted this matchup because I think these are two teams that are coming into the playoffs totally opposite. Um, the Saints, remember last year they were their offense was awesome through 12 games, and then they played the Cowboys on Thursday night and got shut down that game by the Cowboys' defense, and they just never really got back to that dominant mm-hmm. self. And then there was a like, breeze. Is he hurt? Maybe yeah, rumblings. Yeah. And yeah, and they were still great. I mean, they almost they should have made the Super Bowl, as we know. But they weren't offensively as dominant. It was more of a defensive grind it out. And then this year kind of looked like the same thing for a little while. And uh, of late, though, they have really exploded. They're averaging thirty six point two points a game since that weird game off the bye week against the Falcons. Um, in the middle of the season, uh, they finally got Alvin Kamara going in the last couple games, finding the end zone twice in both of them. Breeze is is looking like the stud that that he always has been. Obviously, doesn't throw the deep ball quite as well, but when you got Michael Thomas, that just this just in, he's pretty good at football. I mean, 149 catches, I believe. Um, I don't think the Vikings are going to have an answer for this deep this offense at all. And the Saints, you know, we all think offense with the Saints, but their defense is good. They've got. A, basically a pro bowler even though one didn't get in at all three levels demario davis should have been in the pro bowl he might be their best offensive player they got marshawn Lattimore, who's a shutdown corner and they've got um uh oh my hold on uh cameron jordan uh up front who is a pro bowler as well um 
So they were only allowing 91.3 yards a game on the ground. So if Dalvin Cook's even 100%, it's going to be tough to run the ball. And I don't see that happening. And the Vikings, Gino, just they remember that game last year in week 17 when they needed to get in the playoffs and they just didn't even Late show up against the Bears who were, yep. didn't have anything to play for? Well, they did the same thing against the Packers on Monday night, week 16. I mean, mm-hmm. they were just a beat slow, like – and I just don't trust Kirk Cousins in, in a game like this. It just has has the recipe to me for for a potential blowout. I'm very willing to lay the eight. I was hoping it would be six, six and a half when I was dreaming it up, this scenario going into week 17. Uh, but I'm not going to get discouraged by the number because I just think this is a mismatch. Yeah. Um, when we talk about how how we like the Saints overall, they're the number two uh, ranked team in weighted DVOA, which uh, will kind of wait the end of the season and will take into account like how how good your opponents are and little things like that. The Saints won uh, six of their last seven. They scored thirty four points or more in six of their last seven. In their last three games, they scored a touchdown eighty percent of the time they got into the red zone, <laughs> which is Pretty just good. Yeah. firing on all cylinders. <laughs> They're top ten in third down conversions. You know, and this isn't their running game is just good. This isn't as good of a running game as it was last year, but their pass game, as you mentioned, they're really firing on all cylinders. They have the number three passing offense, the number four overall offense, and I, obviously Michael Thomas. He breaks the record for most wide reception, uh, my, most receptions ever. But to me, it's it's Jared Cook because they've always kind of needed that other. Receiver and we always are trying to find Who's going to be the next receiver But now we look at Jared Cook he's he's averaged over 70 yards receiving per game in the last six He's had nine receiving touchdowns This year and I just think the Saints are, are too good to me They are I think As good as you know I, I think Baltimore is a little bit better in Baltimore What, what they've done throughout the season Maybe a little bit more impressive but to me I think the Saints are as good as any team And uh, I was a little bummed only that They had to play this extra game because I, I thought they were going to be really tough uh, winning the NFC, and now if they have to go on the road and maybe play uh, the 49ers team, it's not going to be like a cold weather thing. So maybe that that really won't matter if that if that ends up happening. But I, I'm with you. Um, if I was going to play a team to win to win it all, this might be one of those teams I throw a few bucks on money line because they're it's a little higher because they have to play the uh, the additional game versus some of the teams with the buy. So um, I, I would lean Saints also in here minus the eight. And uh, before we move on to the uh, the final game, any other uh, any other Saints Vikes thoughts? Yeah, well, plus six hundred on Bet America right now to win it all. Yep. Not bad. Yep. It's interesting. The two favorites are both from the AFC, and then you got the Niners at plus four hundred, and then maybe even a little bit of a better bet, plus two forty to win the NFC with the Niners being plus one fifty favorites. I, I, you know, the cold weather game in Green Bay scares me. I just kind of think the Saints are due to get a little lucky too. In the yeah, playoffs. no, you're right. You're right. I can't I mean, believe they keep bouncing off the mat. I mean, we, normally teams that lose the games like that in the playoffs come back in total regression, you know? Flat. Yep. And, yeah. and, it's, and that's what I'm, I'm curious is, is what kind of transition, and this is a good transition because what happened in that Seattle-San Francisco game, like if Seattle gets in and the Saints don't have to play this game, the entire seeding of the NFC is completely different. Who's playing this weekend? Who has home games? And it was funny. I blame Seattle as much themselves for the way they handled, you know, the delay a game and and their clock management and and how they handled things down the stretch, not being able to get into the end zone. There was a terrible miss call that should have been looked at. So, you know, it's like, again, the Saints getting screwed by the referees, even in a game that they were not playing, (laughs) even in a game that they were not playing in, you know, they just seem to be on the wrong side of every call. 
And that'll uh, transition us over to our, our final game, the Sunday night game, where we saw an Eagles team. They've been a pretty fun team to root for, mainly because Dallas was just such a, a tough team to root for this year because they have so much <laughs> talent and they just like just crap the bed so many times and with their coaching staff and they just seem like heartless and gutless in a lot of a, a lot of weeks where they just didn't really put up a lot of fight. And then you have this Eagles team. And Carson Wentz, who's become the first quarterback ever to throw for 4,000 yards and not have one 500-yard receiver They're just literally the definition of next man up We don't know the names of any of these players Boston Scott has become a a legend Is it going to be enough for them to win this game? I will say what's nice for them is they're playing against another team That is, if there was any team close to as banged up as Philly, it would be the Seattle team yeah, definitely. They're going to probably be without Dwayne Brown, their left tackle. They're definitely going to be out with Mike, without Michael Kendricks, uh, a linebacker. It remains to be seen of Quandre Diggs, their safety, who really bolstered a really below-average pass defense when he came over from Detroit. He's hoping to come back. But, yeah, it doesn't look like Zach Ertz is going to play. Brandon Brooks uh, and, and Lane Johnson, the whole right side of the Eagles line, is probably going to be out. Maybe Lane goes, but... You know, the one thing I'll say, and I'm going to use a couple stats with the Eagles that you've been using uh, that are great stats to show you about efficiency when taking advantage of opportunities. The Eagles are 90 score on 96% of their trips to the red zone, which is very good. And 67% of them are touchdowns, which is third in the NFL. And they're fourth in converting third downs. And, And these are so important because... They don't have the big play guys, you know. They have Miles Sanders. He's banged up. He's, he doesn't have a high ankle sprain like they once thought, so he's probably going to play. And they got Boston Scott. They've got Dallas Goddard, so they're lucky to have another tight end. A lot of teams without Zach Ertz would have nobody. Goddard, a very high-drafted uh, player as well. But but they love to run those two tight end sets, so it's going to hurt to not have Ertz, who's their best offensive player. But, uh, you know, I just – I don't know what I think of Seattle. They don't get a pass yes. rush. They can't, they're not going to be able to run the ball a little bit, not at all against the Eagles without Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Uh, the Eagles have one of the best rush defenses in the league, and I just think Seattle is – if this game's close, Seattle's going to – because stubbornly that's just the way they are. That's the way they're built. They're just going to continue to run the ball and, and maybe punt a lot. If they really open this game up like I think a lot of coaches would and let Russell just make plays, I would really like Seattle. But sure. But that's not what they're. That's not their mantra, and I think it's going to hurt them. It's going to keep the game close, and it's always scary to bet against Russell Wilson in close games. Uh, we saw him come. You know, he's such a magician when he has to come back in these games. But I lean Eagles here. It's the game that I have the weakest opinion on. I know you said that with the uh, Patriots Titans, um, but but gun to head, I, I I would go with the home team getting one and a half points. I think. Yeah, and this is another case of uh, of the. The favorites, the, the we mentioned the one and nine wild card weekend. Um, this is one where they're fourteen and two. The just favorites overall of uh, of less than two and a half points. And so this is one where you might want to take the home team with the Eagles. Y- you know, Seattle all year was one of those teams that if you watch their games, it was like, and especially if you bet against them, you felt like they were just getting lucky, you know, like over and I saw over. you tweet that a couple God. times. <laughs> and it was like, man, I mean, the, the game, one one thing, I saw, a stat I saw after the game, if Zyreline makes the field goal for 44 yards that he misses against Seattle, the Rams would have been in the playoffs, you know what I mean? Like the Rams are in the playoffs. And then right. everything really change, changes even more. So it just kind of shows you they they 
were lucky and then they finally didn't get lucky and and that game changed so much of man could you imagine for for them needing to get healthy and having this week off right now and trying to get some of their backs healthy and trying to get some of their offensive line healthy and some of the players that they they missed last week I mean they were literally bringing in running backs Marshawn Lynch you know who who was taking shots in Oakland Three weeks ago and he was running 12 times last week so um, I, I think That this is a it's a fun Matchup just because they're both they Feel like it feels like if either one of these teams was Playing somebody else it'd be unfair because they're both So injured so the fact that they they drew Each other it feels like it's it's it, it should Be at least sort of even but it, It's so hard when you look at the metrics for this game Because everything that you look at Shows you how good Seattle was running the ball And they just aren't the same team you know, like none none of that matters anymore because they don't have Carson, they don't have Penny. The line isn't quite as good. You mentioned a really key point. If Pete Carroll, who you know, every year that I watch him, I just become more disappointed in in him overall as a coach. I, I think he's a good, he's obviously a good good coach, and he gets the I think the most out of a lot of his players. But when it comes to like tactical. Tactical stuff, going for it on fourth down, being aggressive, and things like that. He's not very good, and you mentioned he's very stubborn about trying to run the ball. Because if they throw the ball, there were only five teams that allowed more yards to wide receivers than the Eagles. The Eagles were twenty right. fifth in yards per completion allowed, and we're looking at a Seattle team that has almost that had two wide receivers almost go over a thousand yards with Metcalf and with Lockett. Like Metcalf is a stud. Lockett was a little banged up, but he's r- really good. Like he's even more than the the deep threat that we used to. He can be a possession type receiver for you too. So it's just will they get outside the box? And I I trust that the Eagles and their coaching staff are going to do a better job of focusing on the things that that Seattle is not good at. Like yeah, the you know the Seattle's bad against tight ends um, and running backs catching passes. I think those are things that are going to be key with Goddard you mentioned with someone like Boston Scott who's been coming out of the backfield if it is Miles Sanders so to me I'm leaning with the home team you're getting a couple points in here um, I would probably play this money line with the Eagles I kind of felt it, it always feels this way because the the two other two times that we've had playoff teams get into the playoffs with an under 500 record it didn't happen this year the Eagles aren't under 500 but the two times where it happened they got that home game and they won and it always feels like you know we we think these this division we think these teams aren't good all throughout the year, but I always kind of was feeling like if the if whoever the Eagles or the Cowboys played were going to be in trouble in this first game because those these aren't bad teams you know they are the Cowboys are more talented I think the Eagles are better coached and they could beat anybody in one game when they have a home game I just don't think this Eagles team is going to be deep enough to win three or four games in a row against top tier competition this is a great draw for them though this is this is a great draw. Getting a Seattle team, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go Eagles in here and play them the money line. Yeah, just to add a couple things. Um, since the bye week, the Eagles defense has been really good at home. They've given up 17 in three games to the Pats, Seattle, and Giants, and then nine in that game to Dallas. And Russell Wilson is just two and four straight up and road playoff games. So as much as he seems, you fear him. He, he's lost more than he's won, and he needs to win this one for you to, to, to get the money. And just a reminder, these teams did play uh, earlier in the year in Week 12. I remember the Eagles. 
were a one-point favorite that day, but the public, one of the more popular public sides all year in the NFL was being on Seattle. They came through winning 17-9 and probably should have won that game by more. But the one thing to keep in mind is the Eagles' D has gotten better as the year goes on. They were absolutely horrific against the pass to start the year. They've gotten some guys back. Uh, Mills, Darby's not going to play, but um, Sidney Jones playing a little bit better. So, you you know, that's the big fear if you're playing against – with taking the Eagles is that, you know, you could picture Lockett and Metcalf making big plays like you said. But I think I lean a little with the Eagles and their defense here at home in front of what will be a raucous crowd like usual. Well, that is wild card weekend. The games start on Saturday, the two games on Saturday in the AFC, and then the two NFC games on Sunday. Scott, before we let you go, uh, let everyone know where can we find you and what you'll be working on coming up uh, soon. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at ScottChap34. Uh, as you mentioned, the, uh, I do a, a podcast each week, the Who Do You Like podcast. It's all football uh, during football season, and then I will be doing a lot more horse racing, some college basketball and golf during the off season. And then you can find my writing uh, at extra.betamerica.com, which is the uh, blog for the for Bet America Sportsbook. Scott Shapiro, always happy to have you, buddy. We'll uh, we'll be talking again, and when we talk next, we'll probably be more, uh, yeah, more into college basketball, maybe even a, a little horse racing, and oh, and and who knows, maybe we'll do something similar like we did last year. It's it's crazy to say that we're already getting towards the, the time where uh, baseball season's coming up, but we did the uh, over under podcast last year when we went through some of the the baseball projections. It's crazy that the new year and we're not too far away from from pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training. So constantly moving in the world of sports. Yes, sir. That was good. We did good work with baseball this year. We'll be lucky to get anywhere near as, as good a yeah, result. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to have to quit while we're ahead on that one. Yeah, that'll be, be one for the, uh, for the whole of fame. So, Scotty, buddy, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Gino. Big thanks to Scott Shapiro there for uh, the discussion. Talk a little with Scotty, unfortunately. That And you'll hear Scott, a good friend and one that we always like to talk football. But anything, anything that we can talk with, we'll bring in Scott because I know before we get into our next interview with Paul, I want to mention one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com. Sarah means candle in wax, and Sarah means wax in Italian. Smoke another one here, Gino, huh? Uh, the goal of Sarah Candles to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. A couple of reasons why Sarah Candles are the absolute best all-natural soy wax. It's free from the toxins found in the paraffin wax, which is used by other leading brands. The all-natural soy wax will actually hold your scent better and burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle. 100% lead-free, cotton wicks, completely natural scents, made in micro-batches, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality, 100% locally sourced and handcrafted in the USA, 25 different scents available, three different sizes, fragrance oil that are infused with natural essential oils, the best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable prices, longer burning, none of those toxins, carcinogens, or pollutants that are present in paraffin wax. Like anything, you have to take care of it. You have to take good care of your candle, especially because it's an open flame around. So there are instructions and there are details on how to keep your candle clean and how to ensure the perfect burn. This company was created by people who just love candles. They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. 
through research, they were able to discover the benefits of the all-natural soy wax. And if you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off of your purchase. So use that promo code G-I-N-O. Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com. Now we get into Paul Bovey, professional handicapper, real sharp. Um, we're going to do the uh, a similar discussion with Paul as we had with Scott where we go through all four of the games this weekend. So sit back and enjoy Paul Bovey. Very happy to be welcoming in a, a new guest today. It's going to be his first time here on That's What G Said. It's actually going to be my first time actually really talking um, on the phone with, uh, I guess we're over Skype, with uh, Paul Bovey. We've discussed uh, sports quite a bit over the last couple of years on social media, some racing stuff, some basketball stuff. Always uh, interested in reading um, some of the write-ups that Paul has. And um, as we welcome in Paul, it's been a really good NFL year for you so far, Paul. I've, I've seen some of your selections and I've seen a lot of your write-ups and um, I'm looking at your NFL picks to date um, for the season. I think you are at 75, 46 and five, which is just incredible around 62%. So, Welcome into the show and a great, great year so far. Yeah, thanks, Gino. It's uh, great to be here. I've watched you on uh, TVG back in the day, and I always admired the work that you did. And yeah, it's been a great year. Um, no complaints, a couple bad beats in there, but you always remember the bad ones. You forget yep. the, uh, the lucky ones. But yeah, 70, I believe it's 77 45, three ties, and uh, looking forward to an excellent weekend here. Just great stuff. So let uh, let everybody know out there. Let's get a little background for you. How'd you get into to gambling in general? Um, have you all been someone that always was was playing races and playing games from from below? Who was kind of your influence and kind of t- uh, tell us through your history how you got to this point? You know, I started when I was ten years old. My father took me to the track, and probably the worst thing that happens is when you go to the track the first time, you win money. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're set you know. for life. You're addicted uh, for life, and then I got into sports betting, and I was a guy in junior high school. I always had a bet on the game, and I, look, I remember a Super Bowl and having 25 cents and, and having 50 cents on the immaculate reception with Franco Harris <laughs> losing the bet on the strength of that deflection, and it's just grown from there. I worked on Wall Street, and I was a recreational better up until the early 2000s, and I became a little bit more focused in on winning, became a, uh, a, a, a online sports handicapper uh, affiliated with Vegas Insider around about 2004, and it's just grown from there. And I play every game that I'm on, and I'm on them heavily sometimes. So the sports handicapping just keeps me in the limelight. I, I like to uh, see my record, so to speak, compete, and and. That's where I'm at. I, I love doing what I'm doing, and I love winning. And we're very happy to have you here, and we're going to break down uh, the four games this weekend because we have uh, the wild card weekend coming up in the NFL. It's a lot of football going on right now with bowl games, and we've kind of gotten through the bulk of the bowl season now with uh, just some few of the real good games left. And now we have uh, the focus in on the NFL playoffs. So we're going to go through each of the games this weekend. Let's start with the two games on Saturday. First one is Bills at the Texans. Uh, this game opened up, you know, three, three and a half. It looks like it's down to two and a half most places. Bills at the Texans over under is 43 and a half. What are some of your thoughts on this game? You know, the total is drifted up from 39 to, to like 43, as you say. 
And I think they got the number right. But this, to me, is the hardest game to predict. Uh, part of that has to do with J.J. Watt. J.J. Mm-hmm. Watt, when he's in the lineup, huge difference in the Texans' defense, which has been very suspect since uh, he went out of the lineup. Their pass rush efficiency dropped from 16th to 31st, and yards given up to opposing quarterbacks went from 4.1 to 5.3, which is a critical factor given the fact that Josh Allen is a mobile quarterback and he'll take off and he doesn't need a lot of incentive to do it. So uh, I don't know how much or how effective J.J. Watt can be here because personally I had a torn pectoral and still feel the effects. It's one of those injuries where you can't uh, put any stress on the area or it'll just set you back. So I'm not sure how much he's going to play, how many snaps, But both quarterbacks here have been very erratic. Uh, Josh Allen, 20 touchdown passes, nine interceptions. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 26 and 12. He's had four games where he's thrown for less than 190 yards. And then you have the Will Fuller factor here because when he's in the lineup, they are much more effective offensively. He's been out of the lineup for five games, and there is a market drop-off. Uh, The Bills are an excellent defensive team. I mean, they've second in the league in terms of total points, but you can move the ball against them. Brady has his best game uh, against the Bills two weeks ago since week two, and this is going to be a tight game. And again, those factors are going to weigh in heavily, and I'm not quite sure how they're uh, going to land. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tight game too. I'm I'm going to lean with the Bills in this spot just because if if it's tight and I'm getting we're going to get the points, I'm going to take the Bills. I I like the fact that they've seemed like early on in the season they were beating up on a really poor schedule. That is one thing with these two teams is that the Texans played a much tougher schedule throughout the year than the Bills did. But I like the fact that the Bills seem to really improve even when they they lost some games against some better teams down the stretch. One thing that you mentioned too, they're kind of a, a bend but don't break. Defense. They're very good um, limiting red zone opportunities, but they're, you know, in in the middle of the field, you can move the ball on them a little bit. I think some of the key factors are, as you mentioned, JJ Watt. Are we going to get actual Watt, or is this going to be, you know, maybe something that can give them a little bit of an emotional boost? I still don't know how much you're going to get from him out on the field. And the favorites on Wild Card Weekend at two and a half or less are two and fourteen against the spread. I'm not usually a trend type person, but I think it just kind of shows you that when you have these games when they're evenly matched and you're only getting those couple points that are probably the home field advantage points, anyways. I don't think there's a lot of difference between these two teams. I actually think the Bills right now might be the better team. And uh, I, the keys you mentioned, a couple keys: Watt and, and healthy, Watt and Fuller. If Watt's Watt and his Fuller is out there giving them an opportunity to stretch the field a little bit, Houston's a completely different team. If not, they're a very mediocre team that we saw throughout the second half of the year where they're a win-lose, win-lose, don't really string it together, and they're not very good when they're favored. They're not very good when they're favored at home. So, um, yeah, I'm leaning. I think it's going to be a close game, and I would lean the Bills, take a few points. I'd probably take this game money line um, and, and, uh, and assume that. It's going to come down to Josh Allen. Can he make a big play? Can he limit the turnovers? And can he, you know, stretch the field a little bit? And can he use his legs to to pick up a third down? Because when you look at the Texans' defense, a couple areas where they really, really struggle. 
They are second worst in the league against third down conversions And they are dead last uh, against red zone conversions They've allowed 71% of teams in the red zone to score a touchdown Which is just atrocious So I think a couple small factors make me lean Buffalo But uh, of the of the four games, I, I do think this one's going to be one that's going to be really close, really tight And this should be a fun game I, I, What I like about this weekend, Paul, is... Uh, Generally in like wild card weekend We'll get a couple teams that don't look very good I'd say of the four games This is probably the the game with like Two of the weaker teams that have made it But these are all pretty solid teams That are in the playoffs this year There aren't really any like free spaces Or any teams that, that look like they kind of like Back their way in Yeah I I agree with you I, I think there's uh, This is going to be a competitive game And when you look at a game like this Live wagering comes into play yes. Uh, so let's say Houston jumps out to a 7-0 lead and then uh, the number goes up to, let's say, 6, 5.5-6. You grab Buffalo and, you know, I, I think it's a good chance that Buffalo is going to – they'll be trading back and forth. So that that's probably the way I'm going to play it. I'll also look at a prop. Um, I, I do believe Josh Allen is going to go over his uh, – Season average in terms of rushing yards, it's he, he's um, accumulated 510 yards so far this year, uh, or through the regular season, which is 32 a game. But he doesn't hesitate to run, and I think you're going to see that because when quarterbacks are a little tense and nervous, rather than throw the ball downfield, they just take off. And I think he'll have the opportunity to do that, and he may bust one off, and you may get this one early. Yeah, you got over 510 yards rushing for him. He he actually leads the the league in quarterback rushing touchdowns, even more than Lamar. He had nine rushing touchdowns this year. So, it, it, as you mentioned, especially when it comes to like making a big play, he he does not mind just tucking it and running there. Bills Texans will be the first game on Saturday morning, and then Saturday evening we don't see this too often, Paul, where we have the the Patriots playing here on Wild Card Weekend. They are playing on this weekend for the first time since 2009. And right now I see Pats minus five uh, out there You can get probably like four and a half Some places over under is 44 Both of these teams were nine and seven against the spread this year um, And we kind of have a tale of, you know, different stories of the season The Pats were so hot to start the year Beating up on inferior competition And then they struggled down the stretch um, With their offensive line, with scoring points And then you have a Tennessee team As soon as they made the quarterback switch They've just been a completely different team Their offense is, is firing on all cylinders And they've become a good football team um, What's your thoughts on uh, this game? Well, you, you made a great point there Because the Patriots in the last eight weeks Have eclipsed 24 points one time And that was against the Cincinnati Bengals And it was helped along by Andy Dalton Four interceptions Patriots only had 290 yards that game Tom Brady uh, 128 And he's had several bad performances Poor performances this year So when you look at that And then you look at the other side Where Tennessee Since Ryan Tannehill has been inserted Into the lineup They have not failed to score at least 20 In fact in 5 of the last 7 They scored at least 31 And 2 of those uh, There were 2 of those That they did not One of which was against the Saints where they put up 28, and then you had the game against the Texans, and I consider that a very fortunate win for Houston because Tennessee was going to go in and get the first score, 
and there was a uh, interception fumble at the goal line. The ball was dislodged from the receiver. Uh, it popped up in the air. Merciless took it 90 yards the other way. And instead of a 7-0 deficit for Houston, it went 7-0 uh, in favor of the Texans. Uh, Tennessee, with Ryan Tannehill, obviously has been a much better uh, offensive team. They get back, possibly, a Dory Jackson, who is mm-hmm. their second-best corner. Um, their best corner is Logan Ryan. 113 tackles, four sacks, 18 passes defended. So I think they'll match up with a very pedestrian offense that has had trouble moving the ball. And by the way, that game against Miami Sunday, that was real. Miami actually blew a couple scoring opportunities. Uh, There was a drop by Albert Wilson, which would have resulted in points. They failed on a fourth down conversion at the Patriot 40. Uh, they had no answers. Uh, yeah, they went 75 yards in the final three minutes for a game-winning touchdown, too. You know, it was not fluky. They they were like they were the better team. Uh, Fitzpatrick was over 300 yards. Gilmore got absolutely torched by Parker. So that was what was concerning too, Paul. To kind of piggyback your point, one of the strengths all year of the Patriots was their defense, their secondary, and that got beat up and lit up last week by a Dolphins offense. Yeah, well, well, the key here is Jason McCourty because he's been out the last couple weeks and he is instrumental in their pass defense. So if they get him back, and they're going to need him because Tennessee, uh, even though they're without Adam Humphreys, they still have some very competent receivers out there, namely A.J. Brown, who exceeded 1,000 yards. So they're going to need McCourty back. But I I have to side with the points here because – makes no sense to me that the Patriots would be two points better on a neutral field the way these two teams have been playing. I think it's just a lot of the reputation. It really is. We were talking with Scott Shapiro uh, about some of these games also that we we had on the show earlier and Similar, it's just the reputation, right? It's just built in. You get those extra few points built in because it's the Patriots. If you're just looking at these two teams and the way they've played down the stretch, even the game that you mentioned against the Saints when the Titans lost was a game when Henry wasn't playing. You know, like they've they've just been a good team. They're well rounded now. Their their defense is solid and their offense has been excellent since Tannehill took over as a starter. And they've been seven and three with those twenty two touchdowns and six interceptions. He has the best passer rating in the league, the highest yard. Per attempt and the highest yards per catch In the league and he's turned AJ Brown Who's very skilled into just an absolute Monster and I think this is Just a well well rounded team Another point the Patriots have been outscored 97 to 75 in the first Half of their last eight games So if they have a slow start to this game They're going to see a heavy dose of Henry And that's like that's As far as the Patriots strong defense is concerned You can run against them we even saw A Browns team who struggled all throughout The year uh, be able to pound the ball and run uh, right at the Patriots. That's one area where you can really attack their defense, also. So I just, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I like the uh, the Titans in here, and I think I think this could be a close game. I wouldn't be shocked if the Patriots win by three, but I feel like you're getting a couple extra points in here if you can find that that five. So let's take the Titans plus the five. Uh, you know, they're they're just a lot lot of things to like. Um, Vrabel knows Belichick. This this game might be close and kind of back and forth. Uh, the Titans beat the Pats last year when they hooked up. And one area where the Patriots could succeed, the Titans struggle defending running back pass catchers. So maybe we see a lot of James White and a lot of Burkhead. But I just, the skill players for the Patriots with a banged up Edelman, they don't scare me, Paul. You know, they really don't. 
you know, it, it's funny. As the Patriots go into this game, they were the ones with the prolific offense, but they're probably saying to themselves, boy, we got to control the ball, milk the clock, and keep that Titan offense off the field. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? The, the way they're going to do it is, as you say, James White and Burkhead out of the backfield because Nikhil, Harry, Sanu, they're not weapons. And, in fact, it's, a, it's affecting Julian Edelman because he had one catch uh, midway through the third quarter against the Dolphins because defenses are clamping down on him. So I agree with you. They're going to have to go to the running backs, uh, speed the game up, and milk the clock and hopefully come out of here with a 24-20 win somehow, which would still be a Titan cover. Yeah, that's the way that I'm leaning. So I'm going to lean with the uh, the Titans in here uh, as we move on to Sunday. So we have the two AFC games on Saturday, and then we have the two NFC games on Sunday. Morning game uh, will be the Vikings at the Saints. It's uh, moved up now to the Saints as an eight-point favorite. The over-under, I think, has crept up to 50 now. Uh, The Saints have really played well. Down the stretch, they had the one game where they lost to San Francisco, but their offense is really, really humming. I think they've scored 34 points in six of their last seven. In their last three games, they scored a touchdown 80% of the time they were in the red zone, and they've been a top 10 team in third down conversions all throughout the year. But it's not, Paul, not quite the same uh, Saints team as last year where they ran the ball really well. This has been in the prolific passing with Breeze. With Michael Thomas and he's been getting Cook involved a lot more lately too Cook is at uh, over 70 yards receiving The last six it seems like It could be a lot of points because the Vikings aren't a bad Football team in here but um, I think of the four this is Probably I guess one I'm I'm not quite as confident In this way I I think I'd lean to the Saints In here but what are some of your thoughts on this one Well let's let's go back uh, Two years and we All call that crazy game Stephon Diggs Catches a touchdown, goes for 60-something, 61 yards, last play of the game, and they they uh, knocked the Saints out 29-24. And then last year, of course, that disputed call that went against New Orleans and, uh, you know, catapulted the Rams into the uh, championship game. So the Ch- Saints are definitely going to come in with a chip on the shoulder. And I-, I might disagree with you on the running factor because they've gotten a lot of production out of Latavius Murray this year. And, of course, they had Ingram last year. But those two guys, Murray and Kamara, they've averaged a shade over four and a half yards per carry, 300-something total uh, rushing attempts. So you complement that uh, with Michael Thomas, who is the best receiver in the league, 1,725 yards. His completion rate is an astounding 80.5% which is better than Breeze's 74.3%. But normally that is propped up by passes to the running backs. This is a wideout. Now you get the Saints. uh, They get back full strength on their offensive line. They got Pete and they got Warford back last week for the Carolina game. And they get Kiko Alonso back in the middle along with A.J. Klein. Von Bell, who had 89 tackles up until three weeks ago when he went out, uh, he may be back, and they added Janoris Jenkins to strengthen their secondary, and Eli Apple has been ordinary uh, anyway, so Janoris, Janoris Jenkins is an upgrade. And then you look at Minnesota. I don't consider Minnesota uh, a very good football team. You, you can be misled by scores at times, and if you look at that Charger game, 39-10, to 10, but it was 7 Charger turnovers. 
You look at the Detroit game, 20 to 7. It was David Blau. They've had some poor performances on defense. Dak went for 400 yards. Cowboys never should have lost that game on Sunday night. It was just some poor play calling at the end. Matt Moore, 25 at 35 for 275. Seattle put up 37 on him. Uh, the good thing for New Orleans, uh, for Minnesota, is they do get Dalvin Cook back. He's definitely going to add to their offense, which was very uh, lame against the Packers uh, the week before last. But they have some injuries on defense. Eric Kendricks is questionable. Cornerback Alexander, questionable. And then Stephen Weatherly, who has uh, uh, three sacks this year, he's also questionable. I just think the Saints are a much better football team. I could see New Orleans winning this by 20-plus points. I think one point that you made uh, I really like is when I do think the Vikings, when you dig in and you look at the numbers and some of like the advanced analytics and some of the DVOA and things like that, they look a lot better on paper than I think they are. And that and that could hurt them a little bit. Now, the only thing that does concern me would be some kind of a late like backdoor type cover. But, you know, the more and more we discuss this, I think I would um, be a little more confident in the Saints, too, because you look at, you know, the. The Minnesota pass D on paper It doesn't look that bad but then when you break da- break It down a little bit more they're actually Really bad covering wide Receivers which is not going to match up Very well when they're trying to cover the best wide Receiver in the game they give up the eighth most yards To wide receivers in the league I'm I'm they're They're a team that's Pretty good against the they're pretty damn Good in the red zone Minnesota's defense But I think this is a Saints D that is just a Saints offense that is really, really firing probably better than we saw them all year. I was a little concerned in the first couple games when Breeze came back, and and, and that quickly um, got that concern was quickly eliminated. They've to me, this might be the most well-rounded, or I think this might be you know right up there with with the Ravens for the best team in the league. I'm kind of bummed out that they had to play this extra game. Hopefully, it won't end up mattering, but um, them having to go on the road to Lambeau could could be something I worry about just from a weather perspective. If they were at home, I would really like the Saints all the way through. So it looks like we're both leaning Saints in here. Um, you a little more confident than me, um, but I would definitely be uh, on the Saints side. And um, I think anything under double digits, I would I would have to lean Saints. Uh, By the way, Gino, I'm not concerned about Green Bay at all. In fact, it'll create line value when he goes in and and beats them rather easily. Aaron Rodgers has been a shell of himself, and I'm not going to put it all on him, but they just don't get any separation from their receivers. Uh, Other than Devonta Adams, Lazard, Scantling, and Allison, no separation whatsoever. Uh, The... um, Packers, think about that game against the 49ers. They were completely shut down, and that is, that's not an aberration. They've struggled this year. Jimmy Graham is getting up in years. Look, they had a shot to score against Detroit first. Jimmy Graham drops a ball in the middle of the field right in his hands. They're just not getting enough productivity from their skill positions. New Orleans will go into uh, Lambeau and win the game. And I believe I saw um, that Football Outsiders had ranked them as one of the worst five uh, thirteen win teams in history, just based on based on their metrics. They end up the second worst thirteen and th- three team ever, according to DVOA. Um, and that 
doesn't generally fare well when you go into the playoffs and you have to play against tougher teams. So, um, yeah, you're right. We might get a little bit more value on the on the Saints just because them them having to go on the road and people thinking Breeze can't win, you know, outdoors or um, out of the dome. And uh, and let's see if the Saints can get through and get through unscathed in this first week. You want to make sure you get you get through, you get through healthy, and get everybody out of the game early, and hopefully blow them out, and then uh, and then focus in on on a big weekend next weekend. And then the final game on Sunday. And man, we talk about a couple of teams who are really banged up right now. We have Seattle going to Philly and playing. This is a rematch of a game from earlier this year, week 12, when Seattle beat Philly 17 to 9. I see Seattle as a, a one and a half point favorite in a lot of spots. The over under in here is a 46 right now. But it, it's, it's tough to start or even talk about this game at all with, without mentioning just all of the injuries on both sides. Yeah, the the Eagles have been absolutely decimated. I mean, you got guys in the lineup that were on the practice squad seven weeks ago. Boston uh, Scott stepped up on Sunday. He was their leading receiver. I think he had four catches, 84 yards. Josh Perkins was in the mix. Guys you've never heard of. Now, if you go back to that first game, 17-9, again, a little bit deceptive. It was 17-3. Philly got the ball back with a shade over two minutes, went down the field, closed the gap, uh, made it 17-9. I I don't recall seeing the end of the game, but probably Seattle went into a prevent to uh, force them to milk the clock. But uh, Zach uh, Zach Ertz, 12 catches for 91 yards that game, and he's likely not going to play here. Uh, Carson Wentz, 33 of 45. So Zach Ertz had more than um, 33% of the receptions, more than a third. So you just got offensive decimation here uh, for the Eagles. And I think they're going to struggle to move the ball. You look at the last couple games. Look, the Giants, the scoreboard shows 34-17. This was a tight game in the third quarter. It was 17-17. Eagles kick a field goal. Danny Dimes drops back the pass, fumbles the ball. Eagles recover, take it down at a one-yard line, punch it in the next play, and, you know, the wheels fell off from there. They just don't have enough offensive weaponry to keep up with Seattle. And, and I understand Seattle's defense definitely is not what it was in years past, but it's going to be enough to snuff out an Eagles offense that just doesn't have a, a lot going for it right now. And they might have an issue on the offensive line as well. Miles Sanders in that first game, 12 carries, 63 yards. He has a high ankle sprain. It's going to be a lot of problems here for Philly to put up points. And I went Eagle uh, team total on the 22 and a half. I'm... This is gonna. This is a tough game for me to play, mainly just because we talked about the injuries and because Seattle. I'm. I'm hoping that Seattle will finally look at themselves in the mirror and say, "Okay, we can't really be. You know, try to force running the ball if it doesn't work that much. Maybe the best case scenario in this particular game against the team that is not good defending the wide receivers. Um, there are only five teams that allowed more yards to wide receivers this year than Philly, and they were 25th in yards per completion allowed. And so Metcalf and Lockett, if they take the if they take the uh, the you know the reins off of of Wilson and, he, and let him throw the ball and let him just use them, and then I, then I think Seattle's got a, a big shot. 
the only thing that concerns me a little bit about Seattle in this game, and I think I would probably just lean, and I'm I'm not sure I'm going to play this game. If I was forced to, if I had to, I'd probably lean Eagles just because we're getting there at home and they've got a little bit more momentum. I'm a little worried about that loss for Seattle last week. It might have been a bit demoralizing because th- that just changed the entire complexion of the whole NFC playoff picture. You know, getting in, getting a bye, getting home field. Getting a week off where they could have had an opportunity To maybe get some of their key pieces back um, A week later And now they gotta go on the road They gotta travel across the country And they gotta play a team that they might look at And say you know we beat this team up a little bit Earlier in the year and they don't have a lot Going for them right now like from a skill Position standpoint that's the only thing That worries me is can they get up For this game obviously it's a playoff game You hope everybody gets up but I just feel like that That was a tough loss last week when they as much as there was a, a bad call That was against them They were their own worst enemy also I agree that a lot, too many times when there's a bad call in the game If a team you know screws themselves Everyone wants to go Well they had the opportunities, sure But the bad calls still happen They're separate issues You know, We don't just we don't we're not just okay with bad calls. It's just been part of the uh, part of the, the the games this year. Really, it's just unfortunate. But I, yeah, I'm leaning Eagles in here. But um, this is this is going to be a tight game. I'm glad they put this game on as the primetime game because, as you mentioned, the uh, the commentators, the announcers are going to be having to do their homework with some of the skill pl- position players that are out there that we've never heard of. They're gonna they're gonna be deep into the uh, the practice squad and and deep into players that have not caught a lot of passes and have not run a lot of balls. Uh, this year, but Boston Scott will try to continue the legend. He had uh, 138 yards on 23 touches and three touchdowns against the Giants. I, I yeah, I guess I'd slightly lean Eagles in here, but I'm I'm pretty pumped with the the four game slate that we have because I don't think uh, you know we could see the Saints game maybe being a blowout, but I I feel like the other three games will probably be pretty tight as we've seen by the point spreads. Doesn't feel like there are any really. Horrible teams even this Eagles team Who was in a bad division all year They you know they're banged up They're not bad they're just hurt There's a difference and and they can still get up For a game or two or Wentz can kind of carry you For a while Um, but it's, I think it'll really come down to these two really good Quarterbacks Uh, Wilson who has been Right below Jackson As an MVP candidate all throughout The year and I mean you, You get one yard last week and The entire and then we're talking About San Francisco playing in this game yeah, it, it, that was amazing, and uh, I, I the blow, I guess the blown call you're referring to is the missed pi against Arthur yes. in the end zone. Yes, and and that's appalling. It, what was, was appalling is that they did not go to a review. Even okay. look, take yeah. a look. Yeah, you missed the call. You missed the call. It happens. Uh, the human factor is in play, but you got to go to the review. They neglected to do so, and that's where I find fault. Now, as far as uh, you mentioning pass coverage, back in that first game, Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby played. Yeah. The good corners. They're going to, at least one of them is going to be out yep. uh, Sunday. That's problematic. You also look at the tight end for the Giants, Smith. He had eight catches Sunday. So I think uh, Russell Wilson's going to go back to Hollister this game. Uh, and as far as your point, with uh, Seattle being deflated. Uh, I I would agree with you in some cases, not so much here because this is a battle-tested playoff team. You're They've right. been through this before. I'm sure they've shaken it off. Pete Carroll is a motivator. I think they could put it behind them. I think they'll go into Philly. They'll play their game. 
They're a little bit undermanned on defense. They've been giving up a lot of yards. And if you look two back against Arizona, the offense was futile in a 27-13 loss. So I have my concerns about uh, uh, the Seahawks. And I think if Philly wins this game, it's going to have to be low scoring. I find fair value on the total here, maybe 43.5 to 44. So at 46 is definitely value. Yeah, you mentioned the Seattle battle-tested the number two strength of schedule this year. So they played some tough teams all the way through. I mean, you think of the list of the best teams in the league. They played them, and they played the 49ers twice, and they played the Rams twice, who were one of the better teams to not make the playoffs. Yeah, so, yeah, they, they had a tough schedule all the way through. Um, this this should be a fun, a fun opening weekend, and... Um, I'm I'm pretty pumped. Generally, there's a, like two games that were like eh, I could really care less about this game. Feels like that's that's going to be a, you know a, a crush. I, I like the I like these matchups. I like I just thought that these there were you know nobody to me. Uh, you take Baltimore out of the mix, and, and then everybody else. There were a group of pretty good teams, and then below that there were some really bad teams. But I didn't feel like there were. Um, you know, a top top tier of like really really dominant teams this year, and it should make for a fun a fun few weekends of playoff football. Yeah, I agree. I, I I'm looking forward to again. The only thing I'm not looking forward to, I don't like these playoff games starting at 10 a.m. And I'm an East Coast guy, and I I still can't get used to these early start times. And you you figure in the playoffs you're going to get a little reprieve, but no, you get the in my opinion the one of the better games of the weekend. You got. Uh, Drew Brees and and Minnesota and it starts at 10 a.m. But uh, I'll I'll pry myself out of bed and uh, hope for a big Saints victory. I've been in that stadium before, and it's just a an exciting atmosphere, and and I'm sure it'll be rocking in New Orleans in the Big Easy. Awesome. So let uh let the folks out there know where we can find you. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back on again soon. And uh, when we move from football season on, we can start talking basketball. And we can go back and forth about the Lakers and uh, and LeBron. And we can uh we can have some fun talking college hoops and some horse racing here and there. What are you going to be working on? Where can we find some of your writing? And where can we follow you on social media? So I'm at Paul Bovey on Twitter. Um, I my picks are sold on VegasInsider.com. And I have to make a comment about the Lakers. So, <laughs> so if you happen to have gone to bed last night and laid 11 and a half points. Wow. Lakers having a 33 point lead. And I say go to bed because I'm still in that East Coast mode. Although I've been 14 years removed uh, from New York. If you went to bed thinking you had a cover and the Lakers win by 10, how do you feel in the morning? Uh, when the Lakers chuck a lead like that. And and that's where my problem comes in with sports gambling on the NBA because the players don't always have your best interest, interest in yep. heart. Okay, at some point, there's a divide between their objective and your objective. They're thinking post-game festivities. You're thinking close this one out. The Lakers led by as many This is from ESPN Stats and Info Lakers led by as many as 36 points And only won by 10 They are the 653rd team over the last 20 years To lead a game by at least 36 points And their 10 point margin of victory Is the smallest margin of victory Of any of them The average margin of victory by those teams Is 33 points And it got a little tightly I mean there was one point with like a minute and a half left They were down by 6 They were up by 6 
And Phoenix had the ball and they got a wide open look at a three that could have very easily cut it to three in a one possession game Leading into the fourth quarter, it looked like AD and LeBron were getting the ice all ready for their knees And they had to get back up and uh, and get into the game, which I'm sure they didn't like at all So yeah, that was, that was, I gotta say, that was a complete laying an egg late That's one of those games where I'm just happy to wipe my hands and move on with the W why am I not surprised that you watched it till the bitter end? I actually, <laughs> I actually shut the game off. I said, this is, you know, I have I have two screens upstairs. And I said, ah, I'm going to put on a sitcom on one of them. And I just shut it off. And uh, lo and behold, I wake up this morning and I see a comment on Twitter about the Lakers not covering. I said, no, that is <laughs> possible. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was bad. So, Paul, this was a whole lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on, and I look forward to having you back again. And uh, let's make some money this weekend. Thanks, Gino. And that was Paul Bovey. We'll be right back with the uh, the final segment here. Big thank you to Paul for that discussion. That was the first time uh, I've I've discussed I've talked with Paul uh, on the phone. As I mentioned, we've gone back and forth a little bit on social media. Really sharp guy. You could tell he does his homework too. Uh, Excellent handicapper So look forward to having him back on uh, As a regular guest here on That's What G Said Podcast Let's give uh, a little recap on my picks Because it was probably all over the place When you were hearing me kind of talk talk it out with Scott And then talk it out with Paul So let's give you the uh, the picks recap I'm going to go Buffalo plus the 2.5 uh, I also think Moneyline uh, there I'm going to go Titans plus the 5 I, you know, I do think the Patriots win the game But um, it just feels like that's too many points for me so Buffalo plus two and a half, Titans plus five, Saints minus the eight there, and the Eagles plus the one and a half. With Buffalo and the Eagles, I'd go money line on on both of those. Um, get you a little because I just feel like they'll they'll both win the games straight up. So Buffalo plus the two and a half in the money line, Titans plus the five, Saints minus the eight. Eagles plus the one and a half in the money line. So far this year, forty nine and forty three. Great start to the year. Struggled in the middle and then good end to the year. So let's keep it rolling here. Best of luck on Wild Card Weekend. We'll have something similar next weekend where we bring on a couple guests to discuss the divisional playoff round in the NFL. I'm going to close things out with some horse racing for Saturday and for Sunday. Before we do, I want to mention Thrive Fantasy, one of the sponsors of That's What G Said. If you go right now to Thrive Fantasy, download the app and deposit 10 bucks. I'm going to give you at least a little bonus here. Right now, all you gotta do is go go deposit ten bucks on the Thrive, uh, Thrive Fantasy app, and you'll get a ten dollar bonus credit just by using the promo code G I N O. It's DFS for prop betting. So if you're, if you're someone who likes to bet a lot of props, this is really fun. Go check it out. Um, like any service, I will always play it myself. Make sure that you can you know the, the depositing the money, the withdrawing the money, everything works out great. I got all. I, I won a contest a few weeks ago. Was able to withdraw all the money on PayPal very nicely. You can see my name on there. I'm. Mean, that's what G said. So we'll be playing against each other in all sorts of contests. If you have any questions about Thrive Fantasy, just let me know. I can explain it to you. I can help get you all set up. Anytime you get a little a little free bonus, you might as well give it a look, right? So use that promo code G I N O. Deposit at least ten bucks, and you'll get that ten dollar bonus credit right back. Horse racing. Get your past performances out. Let's start with uh, the Saturday. The fairgrounds. So we're gonna have a couple plays from fairgrounds Saturday, one from Gulfstream, and then a couple plays from fairgrounds on Sunday. I didn't really love what I saw over at, at Santa Anita a whole lot this weekend, and, and at Gulfstream Park, it seems to be to be pretty formful in a lot of the races. So, um, you know, we we never try to force it. Let's go to fairgrounds for Saturday, January the fourth, and let's go to race number two, and we're gonna go to the five Thai Chili Sioux. 
she's not done a whole lot wrong in her four-race career. If you notice, she won her first couple starts over at Evangeline. Then she stepped up, and she tried a much, much tougher group on the grass at Keelan. That first level allowance, she was 60-1 to that day, and she was just completely overmatched. Now, that was in October, and she was sent to the bench for a couple months. She came back on December the 15th, and I thought she ran really well. She took back. She was fifth of eight. She was tucked inside. She was six off, and then she got stuck waiting behind horses. She had to wait while the winner got a clear trip, and Ty Chili Sue was unlucky chasing slow fractions that day. Had to angle out wide, but by then it was just too late. She ran well when she got an opening. She was up for third. Now she's going to go second start off the short break. The lone poor performance was against much tougher at Keeneland. We're going to make a win wager on the number five, Ty Chili Sue. If we get anything around three to one, that is worthy of a win wager on Ty Chili Sue. That's race number two at Fairgrounds on Saturday. Let's go to race number three at Fairgrounds. And we're going to go to the number five in here, Dancing Waves. Dancing Waves was claimed by Broberg last time out, was a very impressive winner at Delta. And you know, you look up and down this race, there is really no speed at all in here. I think Dancing Waves, stretching back out from a couple sprint races, looks like the one to catch. You'll notice she shows more speed when she's um, when she's routing. There's just nobody in here that has that that type of speed. She's not even really that quick. They're just it's a slow group, a, a group that wants to kind of sit and stalk. Maybe Gavin's little sis can sit close, but I think the real you know, the real key to the race is, and the real way that Dancing Waves wins this is let's just get aggressive stretching out. Second time Broberg the number 5 Dancing Waves will make a win wager if we can get anything over 5 to 2. And then we're going to go to race number 8 at Fairgrounds. And we're going to go to the number seven, Chase the Ghost. Look who Chase the Ghost was facing earlier in the year. War of Will, Owendale, Baracho, Country House. Talking about some nice horses there. And if you were able to kind of dig through his past performances, you can make some legitimate excuses for some of the poor performances, right? Last time out, November the 23rd, they tried the slop. You can make an easy excuse, put a line right through that race. Go a couple starts back. That was in the race in June. Well, that was the race that sent Chase the Ghost to the bench now for quite some time. From June to November, there was probably a physical issue that day. Uh, the May race, you know, that was a pretty tough group um, against, you know, a group of older in May at Churchill Downs. Prior to that, the race against Baracho jumps off the page when running second that day. Just a repeat of that effort where Chase the Ghost finished in front of Hidden Scroll. I would win this race. Now you're going to go second time for Cassie. I think because of some recency where, you know, the last few efforts we haven't seen good races from Chase the Ghost, that's only going to build the price up a little bit. And he has more early speed than he's been able to show in his last few. Second off the break, second time Norm Cassie. I wouldn't be shocked to see this guy show a little more speed. Chase the Ghost. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything over 7-2 to on Chase the Ghost. And then we're going to go on Saturday. So that the three plays from Fairgrounds. Second race, the number five, Ty Chili Sue. Third race, the number five, Dancing Waves. Eighth race, the number seven, Chase the Ghost. Let's go to Gulfstream Park for Saturday. Just one play at Gulfstream Park on Saturday. We're going to go to race number nine. It is the Ginger Brew Stakes. The three moral reasoning is the play in here. I'd be surprised if he's six to one. Anything over 5-2 to two looks like a win wager for me. 
his debut, he's only raced twice. Uh, she's only raced twice, excuse me, three-year-old filly. In her debut, she was in a really strong, loaded race. She was second that day, and she had a slow start. She worked her way through traffic. She was up to six. She was three deep. She was five off, and she won the battle for second. She was geared down winning that battle. And then second time out, just loved her November 8th victory. There was a slowish start from the rails. She moved up mid-pack, but she ran up onto the heels of a rival. Then she got shuffled back a little bit. She lost some momentum. She lost a few lengths, but she waited. She angled to the outside in a nice, sustained rally for an in-hand, geared-down, super-impressive victory. Going six furlongs on the grass at Aqueduct. Let's go to the number three, Moral Reasoning. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything over 5-2. to two. So that's going to be our only play at Gulfstream Park on Saturday. The number three, Moral Reasoning. And we head to Fairgrounds. Two plays on Sunday at Fairgrounds. Let's go to race number three. Get your past performances out for January the 5th. Race number three. Let's go to the number six, Banshee Birdie. Another instance where this race just does not seem to have any speed signed on on paper. And I think Banshee Birdie, who just took a field gate to wire on December the 13th, will try the same thing in here, drawn to the outside, so they can kind of play a little cat and mouse with the field. Let's go Banshee Birdie. Hooks a field with no speed, the outside draw, key off the overall turf for him, put a line through the race in the slop two starts back. And then when you dig in, you see this is a horse who's run really well in, uh, in all of her starts on the grass. The one at Churchill where she just seemed a little bit overmatched. She was in really tough that day, and that was coming off the bench. Banshee Birdie, the number six. We'll make a win wager if we can get seven to two in here. And then we move to race number six. And we're going to go to the number two, Singapore Flash. You know, if you look at all of Singapore Flash's races, he's been a little unlucky in that he's faced some massive fields. 11, 10, 11, 10, 11 in his five starts. And so you look at the races, you know, his second start where he finished fifth, and then his third start where he finished sixth. Those races really weren't that bad. They were in big fields. He ran in some spots. He showed some ability. Obviously, the race that jumps off the page to me is the November 1st lone grass race when he was a really good third. And then he tried to get on the grass, and they actually tried to get on the grass against Tougher, against First Level Allowance Company, but that race was rained off the grass, and you can put a line right through the November 23rd effort. Let's just put a ring right around that November 1st race, and that was against Better at Churchill Downs. If we get anything close to that type of effort, I think Singapore Flash is going to be in really good shape in here. Let's make a win wager on the number two, Singapore Flash, if we can get anything around 4-1. to one. So your Sunday plays at Fairgrounds, race number three, the number six, Banshee Birdie, and race number six, the number two, Singapore Flash. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to Scott Shapiro, a big thank you to Paul Bovey, some NFL. Next week, we will have Andrew Champagne on early in the week. We're going to go through an article that he wrote about some ways to kind of fix horse racing, and we're going to break that the article down, and we'll go uh, back and forth on it. And then upcoming in the next few weeks, we have uh, Jason Beam lined up. The Beamy Awards are coming up in a few weeks, so we'll have him on probably the end of next week uh, to preview those. Joe Christofek from Fairgrounds will be coming on to talk some Fairgrounds racing with us one of these next few weekends. We'll kind of weekend card, and we can be the card with him. And if you have any free time, please head on over. It just takes a second or two to iTunes. Leave us a nice little five-star rating and review. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on Google Podcasts, on TuneIn. That way, every time we record an episode of That's What G Said, it'll be delivered right to you. 
Best of luck. Have a nice weekend, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode of That's What G- so you-